Hi, welcome to Fizz Gig. I'm Wendy Althwaite and I admit to being fascinated by fizz, the taste, the tingle and most importantly, the trivia. Do join me. We'll explore the myths and the mysteries of the world's greatest sparkling wines. Full disclosure here, I produce English sparkling wine in West Sussex myself, but this podcast is not about our wine in particular, or even about English sparkling wine in general. It's about the scintillating world of effervescence. I'll pop a cork and cast a pod every Friday, and I do hope you'll be with me. Don't forget to listen out for the pudding at the end. It's a little tidbit that, whilst not strictly on point, amuses me. Pop it in your goodie bag as a little fact to take away. So, here we go. TGI Fizz Day. And today, we're going to talk about how to taste it. So, last week, we had served it either discreetly or in a champagne fountain or by sabrage, and we just poured it into the glass. I do hope that you didn't wait a week to sip it. But now's the time, and this is my favourite bit. First, pick up your glass by the stem, because you don't want to warm the wine with your hands, and admire the clarity and the colour of the wine. It should be bright and clear, and any colour from light lemon to old gold. Hold your glass against a white background, preferably a tablecloth. The more intense colours suggest longer ageing. Don't hold your glass up to the light and wave it around the room. You simply can't judge a colour when the background distorts everything. Also, do notice the bubbles. Like so much of life, elegant and persistent effervescence is preferable to a single showy explosion. With luck, you'll get a string of pearls rising through the centre of the glass and a corona of effervescence at the edge. When smelling your wine, please don't swirl it. It's taken years to evolve fine little bubbles that will transport delightful aromas directly to your nostrils. Please trust them. Don't destroy your bubbles by over-enthusiastic churning. So take a quick sniff, but don't hover your nose over the glass for a long time, because the alcohol will dry your nose out and then you won't be able to smell properly. If this has already happened to you, sniff a glass of water. It works wonders. And it also works really well on planes. So if your food tastes bland, it may be because your nose is dehydrated. So sniff some water. It looks odd, but the food tastes a lot better. Hopefully, there will not be any defects, but if there are, this is the time you'll smell them. You're absolutely entitled to grimace if you smell any of the following wet wool jersey or soggy cardboard. This is a sign of the dreaded light strike. Although damp rotten cardboard smells could also be a sign of TCA from the cork. Stinky rotten eggs, boiled cabbage or drains, they're all a sign of reduction. Vinegar or nail polish is definitely a sign of volatile acidity. All of these are defects and your fizz is not going to taste any better. But once you've sniffed the fizz and established, hopefully, that it's not defective, go on, take your first sip. Feel free to let the fizz roll about your whole mouth in a loose manner and to slurp, sucking it through pursed lips like this, if you'd like. If not, just sip quietly in the normal way. 
Although the taste sensations are almost simultaneous, you'll first perceive sweetness. Given that most sparkling wine is now brute, it won't be cloying, but it'll just give you a pleasant zing. Sometimes it has pure lemon sherbet. The next thing to kick in is the structure. So sparkling wines have high acidity, and this will make the sides of your tongue and maybe even your gums tingle. It's this acidity that makes the wine age so well and makes it taste so luscious. And next, the flavour should come to the fore, mainly fruit, flowers and minerals. Swallow the wine, or spit if you absolutely must, and breathe out. All the little receptors at the back of your throat and the base of your nose will be freshly awash with the deliciousness of the wine. This top tasting tip of breathing out works with food as well. If you really want to enjoy the taste of something, breathe out slowly and deeply, a bit like a yoga breath. And then there's the finish, the residual magnificence of the wine after you've swallowed it. A long finish is a sign of an exceptionally good sparkling wine. The particular excitement of sparkling wine is their evolution as they age. Over time, the dominant flavours change from primary fruit flavours to autolytic flavours through to full maturity. So the primary flavours come from the grapes themselves or from the environment in which they're grown. They're particularly apparent in young sparkling wines. So look out for citrus flavours, lemon, grapefruit, mandarin and apple and some stone fruit such as peach and apricot. In sparkling rosés, you may find strawberries and raspberries. Secondary flavours come from the fermentation process itself, and in sparkling wines, these are principally from secondary fermentation in the bottle. These autolytic flavours spring from contact with the bottle leaves and include brioche or freshly baked cake flavours. The earlier fruit flavours also evolve so that you perceived cooked fruit, think and the mouthfeel becomes buttery or creamy. Autolysis has made the wine more complex. And if you're lucky, in a mature fizz, you'll find tertiary flavours. These come from ageing or a little bit of oxidisation. And so you can get caramel, coffee, mushrooms, nuts, especially hazelnuts, and even cocoa or marmite. Sipping and enjoying is all that's required. There's absolutely no need to pontificate about the taste. It's not an exam, and as Ronan said, you say it best when you say nothing at all. However, if you are going to try and describe what you're tasting, don't feel pressured into giving an instant opinion. Sometimes, it's on the tip of your tongue to identify what's on the tip of your tongue, but the precise vocabulary won't come. Just breathe. Take a moment or two. Does it remind you of an experience? Perhaps a sparkling rosé reminds you of a childhood afternoon picking sun-warmed strawberries. Wine is very evocative. Don't fret about identifying specific flavours. I once heard two people argue whether a wine tasted of strawberry jam or strawberry compote, and I'm still not sure I understand the difference, but what mattered was what taste memory it triggered in each of them. So just relive your own memories. Inevitably, 
I have a few pet tasting hates. It's entirely personal prejudice, but please don't describe a wine as friendly. It's meaningless. If you like a wine, just say that. If there's nothing you actively dislike in the wine, well, why not say that? Friendly is the equivalent of meh. But, and you know how I hate to be judgmental, it just sounds lazy. If you don't have anything thoughtful to say about the wine, well, don't say anything. And while I'm on a rant, minerality. It's overused and poorly understood. As someone who stood in a vineyard with a piece of unfired pottery stuck to her tongue to try and understand clay, I have no problem with giving it a go. But it's not that helpful as a taste description. Most people don't actually taste chalk or granite in the wine. And why should they? There's no earthly reason for the soil to be in the grape, to be in the juice, to be in the wine. Instead, what people are describing is the effect of that particular soil type on the finished wine, not the specific soil flavour itself. And anyway, when was the last time you tasted schist? If you can taste a specific mineral, like salt, then by all means mention salinity. Just don't hide behind minerality. OK, rant over. However you describe the wine, and even if you choose not to describe it at all, just savour it. After all, isn't that the point? So, anyone for pudding? Everyone loves the indulgence of a bubble bath, but some go a step further and bathe in champagne. Marilyn Monroe famously bathed in 350 bottles of the stuff, the camera conveniently being on hand to record the event, and Kate Moss allegedly followed suit. Various hotels offer a champagne bathing service. The Cadogan Hotel, now the Belmont Cadogan, has a racy history, being a favourite haunt of both Oscar Wilde and Edward VII Tristring with Lily Langtree, and they offered a champagne bath at a cost of between £4,000 to £25,000, depending on the brand of champagne chosen. But before you take the plunge, let's be practical. First, it's cold. Much colder than body temperature. And while I like fizz to give me goosebumps of excitement, I'm less keen on goosebumps of cold. Secondly, it has bubbles, which may, uncomfortably, end up in impertinent places and also intoxicate through contact. Thirdly, it has sugar in it, so you'll probably need a shower afterwards and you'll smell like an old wine barrel. And it'll cost you a bit as you watch your money literally go down the plug. I know that there are all sorts of health and beauty claims out there for fizz that it's an excellent skin toner and detoxifies, that it reduces redness in skin with polyphenols, that it's full of antioxidants to battle free radicals and oxidative stress, that its tartaric acid brightens the skin and evens skin tone, that its carbon dioxide gently exfoliates the skin, that it softens your hair, that its antioxidants and reservatol lower bad cholesterol and prevents blood clots. I'm afraid I'm very sceptical about any of these claims. By all means, sip bubbly in the bath, but probably best not to put it in the bath.
So there we have it, Fizzerati. We've tasted our fizz. I hope you liked it. Thanks for listening. And I hope you'll join me next Friday when we'll be finding out why not all Asti is nasty. Until then, may your wine, like your wit, be sparkling. Chin chin. <laughs>